Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors of both fiction and nonfiction books. I'm Lenny Picker, and today I'm speaking with author Daniel B. Botkin, whose novel Tsavo is being published by Bookvine Press, the sponsor of today's podcast. Good afternoon, Daniel. Could you start us off by reading a brief excerpt from the book? Good afternoon. Glad to be talking with you. The elephant herd moves slowly across Tsavo's dry plains, searching for plants to eat, meandering generally southward toward a river basin whose dampness, even in this drought season, the animals could scent. Dust swirled from the parched soil as the elephants walked along, but their soft, careful steps made no sound. They moved like silent pilgrims over the pages of Savo, following, more or less, the great matriarch, the herd's leader, and mother, grandmother, or great-grandmother of the other elephants. A few bulls pushed out of the herd when they had reached puberty, strayed nearby, paying only slight attention to the herd of females and their young. Two bulls rubbed their trunks together as they grazed and browsed peacefully in the silent sunlight. One blue dust over its back. The great matriarch stepped carefully over a fallen log and stopped at a grain dying bush to pull dry leaves from it with her trunk. A secretary bird rushed away from the bush, scurrying busily along the ground as if on the way to an important meeting. The matriarch turned toward it briefly, then brought her head back to the vegetation and pushed leaves into her mouth, chewing slowly, huge ears out, listening, listening. Her descendants slowed their meanderings, waiting for her. Some searched for a leaf or twig. A young bull, barely a teenager, rushed past her, scattering dust, and attacked a small tree, pushing with his head, then backed away and charged it again. The tree bent, snapped, and fell. A crowned hornbill that had been considering a hollow in the tree for its nest flew before the tree struck the ground. It emitted its mournful call as if in lament and landed in a smaller tree east of the herd. A pair of weaver birds rose from the down tree, their elaborate woven nest cut open in the fall. They joined the hornbill on its perch, then rose and circled away. Dust rose from the fallen tree. A column of yellow smoke rose high into the air. The silent herd had signed its presence to any wishing to know. Several large females joined the young bull pulling what remained of the tree's sparse foliage with their trunks, stuffing the leaves into their mouths. Their chewing made a dry, crackling sound like a small fire sparking. But the matriarch remained still, reaching her trunk out and moving it as if to locate some scent, fanning her ears and turning them this way and that, listening, listening. One of her daughters, also a huge animal, stepped over a small, rocky rise and stopped at a standing dead tree, searching it for something to eat. A small gray mammal, a tree hyrax, 
colored much the same as the elephant, came out of a hollow in that tree and climbed down. The elephant ignored it. High above, unseen by the elephants, vultures soared in the searing sunlight, coasting on the updrafts of the sun-heated air, watching, waiting. The tip of the matriarch's trunk shifted to her right. Her ears had picked up the distant sound of a motor vehicle. After some minutes, two vehicles came over a rise and stopped. Men got out, and the matriarch turned toward them, her eyes trying to focus on them. One lifted a large automatic rifle and began firing at the herd. Bullets struck one of the matriarch's daughter, and she sank down slowly, noiselessly. The matriarch trumpeted and began to charge, but one of the men threw a small object like a rounded stone at her. It exploded, blowing a large hole in her stomach. Blood cascaded onto the parched ground. She reached her attacker and tossed him into the air. He tumbled, twisted to the ground. She settled slowly. Another man rushed out of one of the vehicles and dragged the engine man away. Other men came out of the two vehicles, shooting into the herd and driving them back, away from the matriarch's body. Several of the men started power saws. They pulled on starter chains and the small machine responded, calling out a harsh roar like an angry animal in danger. The sawyers cut tucks from the downed matriarch, ivory dust dropping like tears of stone. They loaded the ivory into their vehicles and were just beginning to attack the tusks from the dying daughter when a huge bull elephant crashed out of the bush charging. Thanks, Daniel. And without giving away too many plot details, could you put that section in context for our listeners? This introduction to Savo points out what some of what's going to happen. It is the poachers attacking an elephant herd to the surprise of the elephants and they have not been used to this kind of attack. Later, not much later, a small group of scientists, British and American, arrive in this Savo Park and are sent over by an international consortium to find out the status of the elephants, count them as best they can, and also find out the activity of the poachers. They are a mixed group and have very different views of nature and people's role in nature. And that parallels the confusion we have in our society about where people fit into nature and what we need to do so we can be helpful to nature. The story gets very complicated, uh, but fun. Uh, there are weird characters, the kind of people you never would meet except in wilderness because they can't survive in regular society, so they withdraw to wilderness. And uh, there, a lot of them are fun. And then the story unfolds, and we try to find out which of the scientists are going to survive, and what are they going to do uh, are the elephants going to kill any of them? Or are the poachers going to kill any of them? It's an adventure and also a romance. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is your first venture into novel writing. Is that correct? 
It's the first completed novel that I have published, but ever since I was 14 years old, I have planned on writing novels. I was fascinated at that age by Joseph Conrad and his short stories and uh, book Heart of Darkness, and by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the writer of The Little Prince, which uh, probably is familiar to many of your listeners, but also wrote a wonderful book called Wind, Sand, and Stars. Those two men led an adventurous life. Conrad became a ship's captain for the British Navy. Exuperig became one of the first uh, airplane pilots flying the mail from France to Africa. And I wanted to be just like them. I wanted to have an adventurous life. I wanted to learn new things about people and about nature. And then I had planned at age 14 to write novels about it. And so uh, I studied science, but I also got a master's degree in English literature, got a PhD in uh, plant ecology. Uh, And I worked as a journalist professionally, and I studied the history of the novel for my thesis in English literature. So I've always been writing. I've written short stories. I've written parallels of Chaucer in Middle English, just for fun. And uh, so this is the first one I've actually published, but I've been writing all my life. And what led you to choose the story of the Tsavo Preserve in Africa as the central focus of your first published novel? Well, I was doing a lot of research on endangered species, trying to make predictions with computer models and measuring endangered species and their habitats in the field. And uh, we decided that the best animal we could study that was possibly endangered, but for which there was the best information, was the African elephant. And so I went to the park, Savo, and I got to know the people who worked there. And they were a fascinating group. And they had many of the troubles which I described to the characters uh, in the novel about trying to help the elephants and doing things that they thought would be good, and but everybody hated them for doing some of those things. And it just seemed to be the perfect setting for a wonderful novel, because it's a beautiful place, and the elephants are one of my most favorite animals. And when they're very powerful, of course, and they know that, but they're also very cautious. They don't like to hurt other animals. And so they have warnings, and it takes them about 20 minutes to go through their entire warning to people or to African buffalo, other big animals. And they stop if you don't go away, which is what they're trying to tell you to do, and uh, get puzzled. So it's as if they're thinking. They're just wonderful animals. And the people you meet there are people I've met in my research in wilderness areas. Some of them are uh, very strange characters and very amusing, and each has a different view of people and nature. 
So it seemed to me to be the perfect place to write this novel. Now, at the same time, I was writing other uh, novel-like material, but this one captured my imagination most. You said, I believe, that the elephants were possibly endangered. What is the current status of the African elephant? Well, it varies greatly from area to area. Um, Some places have an overabundance, uh, which is a concern because they might damage their habitat, uh, which had happened at Savo. Other places, they are being rapidly poached uh, for the ivory and sold on an international market, and so those elephants are directly in trouble. And then there are some places where the elephants are neither too many nor too heavily poached, uh, and things are going along all right. So you have all different kinds. But I would say that the overview is that the elephants are desperately in need of help, that there's too much pressure from poachers because there's a very big international market for elephant ivory and people ought to know more about it and you have to understand how to help elephants. So that's uh, how I got involved in going to Savo and it was wonderful to meet the people working there, getting out into the wilderness area myself with them and uh, it just seemed to be the perfect place. So, Daniel, you referred to the elephants needing help, and obviously an individual can choose not to buy ivory, but do you see a role for either the United States or international organizations in cracking down more on the ivory trade or doing something else that would help the conservation of the African elephant? Yes, there's an international treaty signed by the United States and many other countries, including China, to not allow the products of an endangered species be traded on an open market. But uh, this treaty is uh, not followed. Uh, And so there is an international agreement that endangered species would be protected. But uh, the money is too big and people don't pay enough attention, and governments that have signed don't pay enough attention. So there are methods available internationally, and there are many organizations that are doing everything they can to help elephants, and people can get involved with them. But it also takes an understanding of the international marketing, sociological desires about elephant products, and uh, many other aspects. Are you hoping in some way that conveying the story of Savo in the form of a, a novel with colorful characters, with sort of dramatic developments, is a different way to sort of inform the public and alert them to the plight, uh, as opposed to being just sort of a pure entertainment yarn? Well, first of all, I want to say that I really want people to enjoy this as a novel. And I did my best to make it fun, amusing, serious, romantic, adventurous. But yes, uh, we need to understand as a society better what endangered species 
actually need and how we can help them. And uh, environmentalism often tends to get caught up in simplicities that are not helpful. And so I'm hoping that readers of Zavo will begin to understand the complexities and the different points of view. So each of the scientists has a different view of what nature is and what people's role can be. And that symbolizes our confusion as our society. And there's one character, a woman geologist, who is the rational person, the most rational. And she guides the reader through under, searching to understand what's the right way to think about it. And uh, there's a man who had studied elephants and tried to help them that is searching for the perfect understanding of elephants. To what do you attribute the current state of people's oversimplifying their understanding of, of humanity's role in nature? Is this a recent development? Is this something that has you know, gotten worse in, say, the last decade or so? Well, uh, every age of civilization has had a view of what nature is and what the role of people could be and should be. For example, in the 19th century, there was Moby Dick, uh, where Melville wrote about the white whale representing all of nature. And he, the white whale, was trying to kill people, and people's only reaction was try to kill back. So that was nature as an evil. Then Joseph Conrad came along, and in Heart of Darkness, he characterized the early 20th century view, and uh, he talked about wilderness as a place that drove people crazy. Now, today, in the United States and in Europe, we know more about nature and more about endangered species scientifically than any other civilization. But we are also the most confused. Most other civilizations and most other times in Western civilizations, people had a pretty much agreed upon view of nature which changed over time. But now we're very confused, and it's easy to uh, listen to people who want you to believe they're experts, or to get caught up in a single magazine, newspaper, or article, or TV program, in which a pundit tells you what he thinks is the truth. But in that, when it gets so simplified, often uh, the re reality of what nature can be for us and how we should fit into it gets completely lost and confused. And so I'm very much hoping that Savo will guide people to the many views that are present in today's America and Europe. and. Uh, what we can do. There's an interesting problem here in that, on the one hand, we are the most scientifically advanced and rational in terms of our technology of any civilization. But um, say with cell phones and other 
devices like my computer that we're using right now uh, it's it's easy for these things to dumb us down because they make doing things so much simpler and so we've at one level we can do more than any other tech, uh, civilization ever did technologically and at another level we have let ourselves become naive and simplistic and that's where I'm hoping the novel will br bring us closer to the difficulties and what nature really is and where people can fit in. Well, it's certainly, from my perspective, fulfilled your goal of both being entertaining as a novel and also being thought-provoking. Thank you, Daniel, for spending some time with us today. The book against Savo by Daniel Botkin from Bookvine Press. Please join us again soon for the next PW Litcast.